Okay, everyone. Uh, so thank you, uh, everybody, for coming out during this wild time that we're in, during, during a war. Uh, and so first I'll, I'll thank uh, all of our weekly sponsorships, our sponsors. Right? It, it's been sponsored, this year sponsored in memory of uh, Samuel Frankel, Zichrona Levracha, beloved husband of Simone Frankel and father of Sarah Fishman. And, uh, and by Andrea and Josh uh, Waxman in honor of the Yurtzeit of Rabbi Shlomo ben Arav Naftali Karbach. Rabbi Shlomo Karbach's Yurtzeit is tonight. Uh, of course, who opened up his heart for all of Am Yisrael to love every Jew. And so we, we, we learn in, in, his, uh, in his memory, in his, in his merit. And I think, guys, I think I speak for all of us that we're learning, of course, all of the merit of our learning should, should go to protect our holy soldiers and, the, and our... And our our hostages, uh, one of whom is back home. As of tonight, we just saw, oh, thank God, they saved one, and, and God willing, all will come home soon. Amen. So I initially uh, held off. We were supposed to start a few weeks ago. Mamash, right after Shemini Yatzeret, we were supposed to start this year. Uh, but I frankly, I felt, I don't know, I, I couldn't do it. I felt like it was too normal. It was not, we were, it was just, our world was turned upside down. And then I went to America, so that was another week. And, and, um, but since then, I've really changed my mind. I've changed my tune. Uh, because I think that going back to Tanakh is precisely what we need to do at a time such as this. It's exactly what we need. Uh, for all the reasons that we've talked about in the past, but I, just, I didn't have the presence of mind to be able to, to think that way when this first happened. But now that we've had a little bit of time, to, I, I realize that this is exactly what we need. We're constantly looking at the news. We're constantly caught up in, 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 in the intensity of the moment as we should be because we're living it. Thank God we're all living it. It's a merit to be here and to be living this with Am Yisrael and not to be an outsider. I, can't, I think we all understand what I mean, right? That, that we're here, that we're part of it. And um, so, but it's, it's not simple. It's not simple to be look, looking at the news all day and to only, you know, to only be in the moment. And I think for our own mental health, and our spiritual health, we need, we need to see what we're going through through the, lens of, through the lens of Tanakh. So we'll do our best. Now, the way we ended off, and this is already just before the summer, uh, we ended off with, with David HaMelech running away from Shaul. The break is complete. David is a fugitive. And now begins a long period of, of wandering. But I think we could say in addition to wandering, this is really a time of birurim. It's a time of clarifications or refinements, right? His time as a shepherd prepared him for royalty, but it's a process that still has to be completed. It's not done yet. He's not ready yet. And everything that David HaMelech is going through in the coming chapters, the coming weeks, um, you know, for the next few months, I hope, you know, we'll learn, we have now a six-week series, but then we'll do another one after, God willing, and all of this is David HaMelech's preparation for the moment of, of where he finally steps up and becomes king. Uh, and it's a process that we see also. Moshe Rabbeinu is forced to flee from Paro. Um, and and it, wasn't, it wasn't just a year or two. He was there for a long time, right? He ran away for a long time. And, and, and the Mashiach, we're told, the Gemara tells us the Mashiach is sitting among lepers, waiting for his moment, Right? David HaMelech is forced to do the same. This is a process. It's not easy. It happens over time. This past May, in, in the old world that we used to live in, before Shemini Yatzeras, I was at a uh, conference with uh, Rabbi J.J. Schachter. It was very nice. Why you decided to do something in Israel? It was like beautiful to have a conference here, which was really nice. And uh, the whole thing was worth it just for one Torah that Rabbi J.J. Schachter shared with me that I'm going to share with you now which is a Torah about David HaMelech, but which is also a Torah about all of us and what we're going through now, which I couldn't have known back then. But that's the way the Torah works. In, in number one here, we have the, the, just the beginning of the tefillah for Medinat Yisrael. Right? The tefillah l'shlom Medinat Yisrael. So what do we say? We know, we all know these words by heart. Avinu Shabbat Shamayim, Tzri Yisrael, Vigo'alo. We say, of course, Barecha Medinat Yisrael, Rishit Zmichat Gulatenu. But then right there in the next line, Hagen Aleh what do we say? Ufros Aleha Sukat Shlomecha. And where does that line come from? Right? Rav Herzog wrote this, wrote this prayer not that long ago. It's a new tefillah. Right? After the state of Israel is created. Where did he take this phrase from? From Hashkivenu. 
in Marav. Right, that's what we say. If you stay for the nine o'clock Marav, you'll get to say it very soon. Um, but then in the next line, Again, comes from Hashkivenu. Now, there are literally hundreds, maybe thousands of sources that Rav Herzog could draw upon to, to write this beautiful tefillah for Medinat Israel. There's so much, right, that he could pull on from history. Why does he take two lines from the same little Hashkivenu? Why is so much of our tefillah from Medinat Israel based in Hashkivenu? So let's try to understand Hashkivenu for a moment. Right, the Gemara asks, and this is the Gemara in Bracho says, Mesev Marbore de Ravina. Marbore de Ravina asks, um, right, and in, in Mariv, at night, we have two brachos. Uh, no, they're handed out. I'm sorry. We have two brachos uh, that we say before Shema, right? We know those two brachos we say before, and then there are two brachos afterwards. Ga'al Yisrael is the first bracha we do after, after Shema at night. And the second one is Hashkivenu, okay? Now, the Iyamr is by Lismoch Geula Latfila, right? So this is the whole context here is that, is that we have to connect Geula to Tfila. That's why when we say Ga'al Yisrael in the morning, you're not allowed to have, we don't say Amen. We go straight into Shemona Esrei, Hashem Svatai Tiftach, right? Immediately, we go from one to the next. We have to be Somech, and that's a whole shear in its own right. I actually gave a shear here a few months, I don't know, four or five months ago on that topic. That you have to be somech geula letfila. They have to go one right into the next. But that works very well in the morning when we go straight from Ga'al Yisrael into the Shemona Esrei. But at night, we do Ga'al Yisrael. Do we go straight into Shemona Esrei? No. What do we do? Hashkivenu. All right. Isn't that a separation between geula and tefila? Right? Right? We're not connecting them because you're saying hashkivenu in the middle. So Amri, we say, so he explained, since the rabbis established that Hashkivenu should go in this place, it's like one long Geula, one long Ga'al Yisrael. Okay? Right? It's, it's, like it's, it's as if Ga'al Yisrael is stretching through all of Hashkivenu, taking us into Shemona Esrei. Right? Now, what's, what's amazing is this word, this phrase, Geula Arichta, it has a halachic connotation here. That's the simple understanding. But this phrase has also come to mean Geula Arichta, the long Geula. Geula doesn't always come quickly. Right? Geula can come over time. Right? And, and this has been a theme of this entire story, specific, particularly of David HaMelech, which we started already in the spring, that the story of David HaMelech is not a fast one. There are particular moments of very quick Yeshua. Hashem saves David at this moment or at that moment where Hashem comes pit om and saves us from a terrible situation. But the overall process of Geula is not short. It's Geula Arichta. Right? Kima Kima, step by step, as the Gemara, the Yerushalmi says. Right? Little by little, the light of redemption will come step by step by step. So when we're saying Hashkivenu in Mariv, we're asking Hashem, right, please protect us as we go through this long and difficult and painful process of geula, right? sukat shlomecha, right? Spread over us the right, the, right, the, the tent of your peace, uh, right? Hashem, you, we, we need it, right? We're, we're terrified, we're frightened. Be with us. Take care of us. Take care of us in this difficult and long process of geula. So says Rabbi J.J. Schachter, which I thought this was a very beautiful idea. He thinks this is why Rabbi Herzog specifically quoted from Hashkivenu twice and used those words from Hashkivenu in our tefillah for Medinat Yisrael. Because Medinat Yisrael, the founding of Medinat Yisrael, 1948, maybe some people at that moment felt that it was the end, that it was the culmination of all their hopes, right? Thousands of years. What do we know? It was the beginning of a long and difficult process. So Rav Herzog, he understood when he was making this tefillah that it was not going to be easy. Even now, thank God, we have a state, but we we're going to have to fight to keep this state, and that's what we're doing this moment, tonight. Literally, as we sit here and learn together, right, our sons and our husbands, and, right, they are there. They are there fighting to preserve this state. It's the Geula Richta. It's not easy. It's not simple. 
And so that's why he built this in. So every time we say this tefillah for Medinat Yisrael, every single time, we know and we remember, it's a long geula and it will take time, but you Hashem will be there with us along the way. And so, you know, I think also, you know, we find that the Tehillim that David HaMelech wrote during this time period that we're going to be learning now, uh, this time from when he runs away from Shaul through the end of Shmuel Aleph, when, Sha- when Shaul dies in battle and, and David enters a new stage of his life. So these next many chapters, right, he wrote many intense Tehillim during this time, very painful, difficult Tehillim. Uh, and I, I think of them as the Hashkivenu Tehillim, right? And it's like, if you look at number four, Tehillim 17, Shamreini ki ishon batayin, b'tzel reini. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Right? This is, right, these Tehillim that David Amelech, I think, that, that he expressed at that time, those are the Tehillim, I believe, that we are going through now. The Geula has already begun. David Amelech is born. David Amelech is out there, right? The process has begun. We're not like, in, we're not in Sefer Shoftim, where it's a distant dream. David Amelech is here and he's leading us. Right? Am Yisrael, we're here in Eretz Yisrael. We, we, we've made a tremendous amount of progress. But this stage is not easy. Right? We have to go through more. We're going through difficult times. And so these Tehillim, as we go through and as we learn um, all these Tehillim, they come up all throughout the rest of, say, of Shmuel Aleph. Um, because they often say, the beginning, this is what he, David said this Tehillim when he was hiding in a cave. David said this Tehillim, right? We're told exactly when he said these Tehillim. We should know that these are the Tehillim for our time. Um, and these are to him that we should be connecting to as best we can. Um, Rav Soloveitchik said, and this is really, really unbelievable. Uh, everyone, if you have a chance, you should buy this book. It's called Return to Zion. Uh, they just published it. Uh, the OU and Mizrahi did it together. Um, I might be the most, maybe, I don't know. I've been upset with the OU lately, but this is probably the most important thing they did over the last bunch of years. Um, it's, it's drushas that Rosalovechik gave at Mizrahi conferences in like the late 30s, in the 40s, in the, in the 50s. So Rosalovechik at his height, at his fiery and most intense, I mean, it's unbelievable. He doesn't hold back. When you read Rosalovechik, you get a little bit of like, wait, you have like a, a moment. Is this, is this Kahana? Like, who am I reading right now? It's unbelievable. It's actually incredible. So he's like Rosalovechik unleashed because it was all done in Yiddish which is his mamalashin, and so he's much more comfortable in it and much more unleashed in, in Yiddish, and it's translated into English, but it still has so much power. Uh, so he says here, the renaissance and redemption of the Jewish nation will come about through hardship, adversity, and martyrdom. Not harmony, but discord, not peace, but struggle, not pleasure, but deep suffering will pave the way to the Jewish Messiah. However, this is not simply a lesson in the philosophy of suffering or Jewish metaphysics, which has only theoretical worth. Rather, it is, o- it is also an ethical teaching. This is, this is practical, says Rav Soloveitchik. Every Jew living in the time period that we are living in needs to live with this Torah, says Rav Soloveitchik. A person must achieve the level of an aspirant, a world builder, a cholem, and a lochem. Right? It's the same letters. We have to be dreamers and we have to be fighters. And uh, Rav Neria has a beautiful quote where he says, you know, a person who is a cholem, I don't have it exactly, it's in Hebrew, but... If you're cholem without being a lochem, if you're a dreamer without being willing to fight, you're not going to get anywhere. And if you're a lochem who's not a, who's not a cholem, if you're fighting but you're not a dreamer, then what are you fighting for? Right? We, have to be, we have to be both a cholem and a lochem. Am Yisrael is doing both right now. Uh, and always carry within himself the prophecy of redemption of the days to come. Even more so in times of success, joy, and blessing, he must certainly develop such aspirations, such visions and prophetic reveries, hopes and dreams, and strive to realize them in moments of distress and grief, in times of pain and despair and crisis and in extremis. This is, a, this is Rosal Bajic speaking to us now. Right? He's been dead for 30 years, but he's, but he's talking to us right now. So where does David go first? He escapes Shaul, and he runs to the city of Nov, where he asks Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol, for help. But why does he run to Nov specifically? Why of all places does he run to Nov? So if you look at number six, and we'll get to the Pesukim in just a moment, um, where the Gemara tells us, Once we had, when we came to Shiloh, and the Mishkan was established there for 369 years, until it was destroyed in that battle with the Plishtim that we learned about last year, 
Um, during, right, during, during all those 369 years, you cannot bring your own private korbanot on a, on a bama, on your own private mizbeach in your house, right? Because we had a mishkan, we had a center. Ba'ula Nov, the Givon, when we came to Nov, after the mishkan was destroyed, that became the new spiritual center, Nov and, and Givon. Uh, there, at that time, even though that was a spiritual center, you were allowed to bring personal korbanot. But then, Ba'uli Yerushalayim, once we came to Yerushalayim, Ne'esru um, HaBamot, right? Then, they, then that was it, and V'lo and that was it for the rest of history. Once we had our Be- the Beit HaMikdash, all of that ended. But what do we find that's interesting here? The Mishkan was our spiritual center, and that was such, a, that was such an important place, and an important center. You could not bring Bamot in your house. You could not bring your own Korbanot. And the same thing, of course, in Yerushalayim. But why was Nov, like... A dip in that status. Why? Uh, it's just Nov. Right? Now it doesn't matter. Like, what? Is Nov less holy than Shiloh? Like, I mean, Nov is in Eretz Yisrael. Like, why? You know, why? What's, what's going on here? Right? What is this about? Right? How do we understand that? Um, so I, I, I think there's a, already a profound teaching here, just to understand the moment that David Ameleth is in, because I think it's similar to our own. Uh, you know, this was an in between time of holiness when Shiloh was destroyed. But Yerushalayim was not yet the center of Am Yisrael's world. So, ju- so, so just as David is experiencing an in-between stage in his life, he started, right, he was the shepherd, then he was the hero, and he was the, the, the son-in-law to the king, and all that was wonderful. And his future is as King David Melech Yisrael Chai Vekayam. But now he's in this dip, in this painful place in the middle, right? And so it, 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 it's actually poetically, you know, it, it, it's appropriate here. That the, not just David HaMelech, but the whole nation is, an in, is in, in, in an in-between moment, spiritually. Um, in-between, right? His anointing on the one hand and the killing of, of Goliath, and on the other hand, becoming king. So the Mishkan is also in this in-between status, right? The Mishkan is rebuilt to some degree. And now why is that? Pro- probably because the Aron was not there, right? The Aron was not there in Nov. It was kept separately when it came back from the Plishtim. There was a, a lesser status. And I think we ourselves are maybe in such an in-between time, right? We, we came, we, we, right? we established the miracle, 1948, 67, Harabai, the and then not, right? And we have a glorious future that we never stop believing in because we, we are Hayinu Kecholmin. But we're, something, we're in something of an in-between time, a difficult in-between time. Now, like David, we should still be running to Nov. Just even if it was a lower level, David is still running to Kedusha. We, gotta, we have to grab the Kedusha that we have, and maybe the shul here is Nov, perhaps, right? Maybe, you know, maybe, this, or maybe this is it, I don't know. Um, but, but we have to know that we're in between, and that's something that I think David Amelech was very, very well aware of as well. He knew that he was on to bigger and greater things. We have what to accomplish now, but we have to know that there's something bigger that's awaiting us. Um, okay, but, so let's, but let's go forward. The Pesukim themselves. Right, So this is after he, he says goodbye to Yonatan. That's how he ended. Yonatan goes back to his father, to the city, and David runs. David he comes to, to, to Nov, to Achimelech the Kohen. But Achimelech is very nervous seeing David. Why? Because he sees, he's not a stupid man. Why are you here by yourself? David Amelech, everybody, was a man who did not travel by himself. This is a man with an entourage. He was the son-in-law of the king, right? Just like when Trump was president, I know, Jared and Ivanka, and they, came, they came everywhere with secret service. They came to our shul, there was secret service everywhere they went. They went to the bathroom, there was secret service, right? David Amelech didn't go anywhere by himself, right? He, he was a great, the great general, the son-in-law of the king. So what's going on, right? So how could it be that he's here, just shows up by himself and no, it's very suspicious, so David, David tells a lie, right? Sometimes you have to lie. And he tell, tells Achimelech, HaMelech Tzivani Davar, the king has sent me on a secret mission, on, on a business, I can't tell you what it is. I don't tell anybody what I'm sending you on. Um, you know, so the, I have young men, you know, my usual entourage is waiting for me in a particular place. He comes up with the whole story as to why he's here by himself on a mission. And he says, and, he, and, and now he gets to, straight to the point. 
right? Oh, Nimsa, David is starving. He runs off without any bread. He had nothing. He ran for his life. And so he says, give me, the, give me food. You're right, five loaves of bread, give me something. So the Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol, tells David, Ein lechem chol el tachat yadi. I have no normal bread here. I only got the holy bread. All I've got is holy bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. It's interesting, right? They have to make sure that they're pure, right? We don't usually think of, about men in purity nowadays. But in those days, right, Tomantara, right? Men also have to be very careful, right? He's asking, right, are, are your men, are you David HaMelech, or David, future David, right? He doesn't, he doesn't think, he, actually not David HaMelech, you, David, you know, son-in-law of the king, are you a holy person? I know you're a powerful person. Are you, I know you're a great general. But are you, are you Tahor? Are you somebody who's worthy of this bread? Meaning he doesn't, even Achimelech HaKohen, who has the, what does he have? The Urim Vitumim, does not yet grasp who David HaMelech is. Which is kind of hard to, for us to grasp. I mean, okay, it's one thing when he was a shepherd boy who nobody knew. This is the man who took down Goliath by himself. Right? This is... This is the man who went out and, and killed 200 plishtim and came back with their foreskins, right? May our soldiers come back with the foreskins of these uncircumcised Palestinian right, wannabes, right? Amen. Amen. Right? They should do it while they're alive. Um, so, you know, but he still, somehow still didn't grasp who David HaMelech was, right? This is like David HaMelech's fate, apparently, to, be, to, to not be understood. Um, so David says to him, he says, no, no, no. Right? We haven't been with women. Everybody's, everybody's in a pure state. Right? So he says, uh, you know, we're ready for this bread. Hand it over. So he gave him the bread because there was nothing else but this lechem. Right? That was just the bread there in, in, in the Mishkan. And there's a whole debate, and, and I'm realizing time-wise, maybe we don't have time to go through this. There's a whole debate about what was this bread and which kind of holy bread was it. Um, but I think the bigger, the key point to take away from here is, is we should be careful, you know, who we're judging to be the holy ones of Israel. Right? This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I wrote an article to... To try to, I, guess, I don't know, I guess it's like I'm looking for, to make people in America hate me sometimes. But, um, but, I, but my experience in America when I, when I went right after the war started was that the people who you would think, the formal official leaders who were supposed to step up and to lead Am Yisrael at this time, and we're seeing that they're under attack also, right? Jews everywhere are under attack, and they need them to stand up and to be strong and to be courageous. Those leaders, some of them are standing up as they should, and others are not. Many are not. Many are, are, are passive and not rising to the moment. And yet I'm seeing, I have two, two dentists that I know in New Jersey are like superheroes. I've never met like superhero dentists. It's unbelievable. These guys are, are fearless and they're machines and they're making rallies with thousands of people, somehow holding their businesses afloat while they're doing this. I don't know. So I, I met an administrative assistant who, who was much, much more impressive than most of the rabbis that I met. So I, I don't know, it was a lesson that I absorbed, and I think this is a lesson you know, that we learned from David Amelech as well, which is that we should be careful about, about how we judge people in terms of their value and their worth. And you know, they, I, I, less and less I, am I impressed by official positions of leadership, right? Executive directors and rabbis and, and principals. So that's I have less and less. And I think uh, you know, David Amelech teaches us the same lesson. Um, now, what's interesting is that to continue the next page, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, so David continues, and he says, V'sham ish me'av, me'av This is an important pasuk, because we'll come to, back to it in a moment. While David is having this conversation with, with, uh, with Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol, there is one of the servants of Shaul, who was there on that day, Netzar lifnei Hashem. What does that mean? It's, it, I think the translation is very awkward. Detained before God? I don't think he was uh, detained like a prisoner. Meaning he was sitting there, he was like standing before Hashem, like he was coming, like one of the, like a very holy person you see, sitting at the hotel for hours at a time, you're like, he obviously has no job, okay, but it's okay, he's here, he's connecting to Hashem, that's our lifnei Hashem, right? A guy like that, who was one of the servants of Shaul, was there, Ushmo Doeg HaAdomi, Doeg the Edomite, Abir HaRoim, the chief of the 
of the herdsman, Asher Shaul. Okay, and this, this is going to be very significant. But David apparently isn't nervous about this guy, right? Because he, he talks openly with Achimelech, and he says, Do you have a sword or a spear? Right. Now this is getting really suspicious. I didn't bring it with me. Because the king has sent, has sent me on a very secret, important mission. Right? So, so uh, Achimelech is, I'm sure, terrified. Uh, he knows something's off here. The sword of Goliath, who you killed in Eimah Ephod. It's wrapped here behind the ephod, right? Which Rashi says are, is the, the Urim Vitumin, right? Which is, uh, the ephod here is referring to the Urim. That's interesting, right? Imatati kach lechat kach, right? If you'll take it, you can take it. Ki There's no other sword here besides that one. Meaning, I want nothing to do with this. You can go and you can take it yourself if you want it. Keep me out of it. Unfortunately, this would not save Achimelech, right? David So David says, well, there's none like it, right? Because <laughs> remember, he used it to chop off Goliath's own head with it, right? That must have been a thick neck. You needed a strong sword to cut off a head like that. So tenenali, so give it to me. Okay, so, you know, this is very, you know, very interesting. So, so, why, so what, what's with the Urim Vitumim here? You know, why is it, you know, what's going on here? So, the, so according to the Targum, um, you know, this is all part of the plan, that, that David should ask the Urim Vitumim where to go next, He's getting the sword and then asking the earth. Right? The whole thing is directed by Hashem. That's one approach here to, what David, to, to, to the way of David Amelech. But then there's a whole other approach. This uh, Rav Amnon Bazak from Gush. I don't know if anyone, uh, you know, he's got all sorts of stuff online. You can, uh, you can read. He's got, he's got essays on every chapter of, of Sefer Shmuel. Uh, so I found, you know, he talks here. In his perspective, this is actually a great failure of David Amelech. That David, you know, the fact that he's looking for a sword. Remember, what did David say to Goliath? Right? I'm not, I don't need a sword to kill you. I'm going to kill you with Hashem. Right? Hashem is with me. That's how I'm going to destroy you. I don't need a sword. And the fact that he's now coming down to the way Goliath is and taking the sword is something of a, of a, of a sense of a, a lack of faith, perhaps, but also carelessness that he's doing this. And, and putting Achimelech and ultimately the entire city of Nov at risk, right? That Doe Ka'edomi is sitting right there. David knows who he is, but somehow he doesn't, he's not worried about that, right? That, so there, this is something, you know, there's some guilt here on David Amelech as well. Now, obviously, secondary guilt. David is not the one who will kill this, right? Achimelech, the Kohen, that's Doeg. Um, but it, it is something to, to be aware of. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Two completely different approaches. One, that it's the Urim Vitumim, that this is all part of Hashem's plan, telling David where to go and what to do. And from the other side, <coughs> that, David is, that David has failed. Who knows? I, I leave it to you to decide. But now we have to turn, I think, to the, to the key question of today, which is Doeg HaEdomi. Who is this Doeg HaEdomi? Um, and why is he important? What is he doing in Nov? So it says Abar Benel, this is very, very interesting. He says, V'sham Ishmei Avdei Sha'ul. So Zachar Shayasham Benov Ishechad Meavdeshaul Ushmo Doeg Adomi Vuhumi Bnei Yisrael Hayas. So first of all, he says he's a Jew. Doeg Adomi sounds like he's a non-Jew, that he's an Edomite. No, he's a Jew. Avalafi Shahaya Garba Aretz Edom Nikra Beeretz Sorry Beeretz Edom Nikra Edomi because he's living. He, he had lived in Edom. He's called an Edomite. Now I think this is something for us to keep in mind, right? Meaning this is a Jew, and we'll see, is a very religious Jew and a great Torah scholar. But what's up with him? He was living where? In exile. Those exile Jews. You never know what they're going to do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. But no, but, but there is something, I think, the fact that he's an Edomite, meaning that, that, that there's something foreign inside of him, right? There's something off about Doeg. He's not fully aligned with his people, right? There's something broken inside of him, as we'll see, despite all of his scholarship and despite all of his ostensible greatness, Right? There's something off about Doeg. It's interesting, right? We're going to talk, actually, the, the Chazal talk about his name because it gets called Doeg also. It's interesting, his name. So, Vaya Doeg Abir Haroim. So, it means literally like the head of the herdsmen, 
Meaning he wasn't like a shepherd. This is a guy, and the simple shot is, was in charge of much of the economy, uh, right? He was in charge of all the shepherds, which was a major part of the economy at that time. Um, but I think that it says the Arbanel that it's even more. That he was one of the great leaders of the nation, right? One of Shaul's chief lieutenants. Right? We know that, that, that leaders of Israel are called shepherds. So he's the, one of the leaders of the shepherds, meaning he was one of the leaders of the leaders, a leader of the leaders of Israel. Right? Right, and that's why later on, later on, he said it says that he was appointed over the servants of Shaul. That doesn't sound like a guy who's in charge, like the minister of agriculture, right? That sounds like a guy who's who's one part of the cabinet, right? One of the right hand man of Shaul Hamelach, right? So he was not just a roeh mikneh. This is a significant person, and but he was etzar lifnei Hashem, says the pasuk. He was sitting there like that guy at the kotel. Right, he sits there all day. Right, he was sitting there learning Torah, right at the Oel Moed. This was the Kotel of his time, sitting there learning Torah, right. That's the, and that's uh, that's Rashi. Says Radak, When it says that he's the head of the shepherds, it means he was the head of the Beitin of Shaul, one of the great Torah scholars of his generation. Right, a barbanel So he came there to bring sacrifices with other people. But he was so holy. Everybody else brought their korban and they left, and he stayed for hours. Right, that guy who stays in the Beit Medrash till three o'clock in the morning. Right, he doesn't leave to go get the rugalach at eleven o'clock with everybody else. Right, he's there. He's sitting. He's learning. He was the holy one. Right, this is shocking because we'll see what he does. Right? Also, Mitsudas David, He was doing his bodidus. So this now he's not only is he an av based and he's a chassid. Right? He's doing his, his he's a Breslover before Hashem. So what's going right? This is wild. All the Mephorshim talk about the unbelievable holiness of Doeg Ha'adomi. And yet what really is Doeg, right? What, what it, well, it's unbelievable. Because what happens next? Vayandoega Domit is number twenty-one. Right, the one who was in charge of the servants of Shaul. He says, ben Ishai. I saw the son of Ishai. I saw him come to Achimelech, the Kohen Gadol. He asked of Hashem for him and gave him food. And he gave him the sword of Goliath. Now this is really sick, right? Doeg was there. He knows that Achimelech had nothing to do with this, that Achimelech was questioning David. Does he repeat any of that? All, all he tells Shaul, he makes this, the story sound as if Achimelech is like a co-conspirator. Evil, right? Talk about the terrible evil. So the king sends to Achimelech and calls him there, right? And, uh, and all of them, all the Kohanim come and he says, what's going on? And Achimelech says, what, you know, here I am, my, my, my lord, right? And, he, and Shaul says to him, why are you conspiring against me, you and Ben Yishai, you and David, right? And giving him food and giving him a sword and talking to Hashem for him, right? So that he could come and rebel against me. So Achimelech, of course, denies it, right? How, how could that possibly be? Why would I ever do such a thing, right? I've never, I would never turn against you. And Shaul HaMelech says, Mot tamut Achimelech. You're going to die, you and your enti- all of your father's house. And the king says, right, and he tells, he, he tells all of his servants who are there, go and kill them. Right now, they're all there. I have, I have in mind like one of those medieval, you know, movies, you know, like where they like turn on the, the nobleman, like the king, you know, he invites them all to, to, have a, to have a peace meeting and then he gets his servants to slaughter them all, right? I mean, it's like brutal, it's horrible in front of him. Right? But what happens? Can you imagine the Kohanim? These are the holiest people of their time. To go and to slaughter them, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. This, these were not plishtim. So, so the, the king says, we'll come back to that, right? He's, it's spelled one way and said another. Now you go, right, Rabbi. 
right? You're the Av Beitin. You go and slaughter the Kohanim. And he does it. They slaughtered 85 Kohanim. Right? One of the great tragedies. There are a lot of tragedies in Shmuel, Sefer Shmuel. And this is the great Sefer Shmuel. This is the story of our redemption. Right? But, but it's, it's not simple. The whole town, man and woman, child, babies. Can you imagine? And, and, and just I highlighted here the phrase because if, then you just compare it to go back a few chapters when Shaul was commanded to do this to Amalek. And instead, what did he do? Instead of slaughtering man and woman and, and child, all the same exact phrase, instead of, of our enemies, he slaughters his own people. Right, this is something that Shaul can never come back from. Right, this is uh, talk about what talk about great brokenness. Right, what he should have done to Amalek, he does to his own people. Right, and and this kind of suffering, I just, uh, uh, I mean, I saw somebody speaking about this today. Like, like we can't go back in history; we can't change the last six months. But you know, on a spiritual level, Rav Grossman is the one who said this. Right, the Disco Rebbe, right, the great Sadik, the Disco Rebbe, the Rav Grossman. He was he was on TV in Israel. I saw him today. And he was saying that this is, uh, there's no question that we're suffering now from what we experienced over the last six months. That's what he says, right? And, and the, the military defeat that is in, in Shaul's future, the slaughter of himself and his children, which is going to happen against the Plishtim, right, is a direct consequence, as we'll see in the coming weeks, of this sin that he commits against the Kohanim of Nov, right? When we turn on each other, right, we will suffer at the hands of our enemies. That's... You see, you see, what we're learning here is not history. We're learning, we're learning our own time. So the, and the man who leads the way, and this is like the most shocking, unbelievable thing. The man who leads the way, who's willing to slaughter innocent Kohanim, is Doeg Ha'edomi. If anyone's hot, you should feel free to open the windows, because I'm... Am I, uh, is it working? I don't know. I'm, I'm saying I'm just... I'm a schwitzy guy, but I'm assuming I'm not the only schwitzy guy. I'm so, it's hot, right? So, Okay. Thank you. Um, but it's beautiful outside. So how could it be, right? We have this intense piety. He's sitting at the Kotel, in his, having his bodhidus, learning Torah. He's the Av Bastin, and he's slaughtering Kohanim. How could such a thing be? How is it possible? Right? How is it possible? Right? And, you know, we find, right, David himself says this, right, in, in number 23. La Rasha Amara Lokim. Right, right, to, right, Hashem says to the Russia, Who are you, the Russia, to talk about my, my Torah? Right? There's nothing more nauseating to Hashem right, than, than a Russia who's, who's talking the language of Torah. Right? To take my bris, my covenant in your mouth? Disgusting. Right? And that's Doeg. Doeg is the, I, I can't imagine a more horrific example in all of, of, all, all of Jewish history. Who else has ever been like this? Right? I mean, I. Maybe to our credit. I don't, I don't know. I can't imagine. I, I can't, maybe someone can think of someone, but I can't think of anyone in Jewish history who was such a Torah scholar who, who acted in such a way. Now, there are examples, and we could talk about them, and they're painful on a lesser level, right? And the, the, there's a hypocrisy, obviously, but, but we'll, we'll get there. So, you know, Ibn Ezra says, right, on this, on this Pasuk in Tehillim, right, Hashem says to a, a, a Chacham, a wise person, a Torah scholar who's also a Rasha, Ki Hashem yisne'ehu, that Hashem hates such a person. If you're going to be a Russia, just, just be an ignoramus. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't become a Torah scholar and then be a Russia. Um, so this is, you know, this is, David HaMelech suffered from this, and Am Yisrael has suffered from this in a very personal way. And so this is built into David HaMelech's Tehillim. Right, this is Doeg, right? So how, how do we understand, right? How could it be? That, that such a great Torah scholar can, can do something so horrific and so horrible? I think that's the great question. So there are two general approaches, one that I prefer more than the other. So the one that I don't prefer, I'll start with, right? It's always better to go to what you like second. The, but, but the first approach we find, uh, if you look here, you know, at, at number, uh, number 25, uh, this is at the back of the beginning when, when Shaul was having his depression and he needed somebody to sing for him. And so, Vayan echad One of the young men of the court suggested, I saw there's a son that Ishai has, Beit Right? David. 
Yodeya Nagain, Vigibor Chayel, Vish Milchamau, Nivon Davar, Vish Tawar, Vashem Imo. He goes on saying how wonderful he is in every way, skillful in playing, valor, man of war. All of this is before Goliath. He was just a kid. So what's going on? Who, what is this? So the Gemara tells us, I won't read it all inside, this was Doeg from the beginning, right? That Doeg was trying to make Shaul jealous, right? He was, meaning, okay, in our, in our chapter, he's, he's, kill, trying to, he's killing the Kohanim to protect Shaul. In that chapter, he's, he's like, you know, working against Shaul, meaning he's one of these people. Again, you, we've all seen, probably seen enough of these TV shows of people conspiring at court, you know, all the people underneath who are the ones who are really, you know, with all their machinations, all, you know, these are the people like Doeg, right? That he was evil from the beginning and everything was to create jealousy and to try to find himself, get himself higher and higher up in the hierarchy at court. So that's the reason that he did that, that he said that to Shaul. Do you think he had any aspirations to be king himself? It could be, 100% it could be. People like this, without question, right? They, they know that they're, oh, we're, I'm smarter than the king, so I should be the king, right? Of course, um, I'm telling you, this is why I believe that we all wasted so many hours and hours of our lives on Netflix and things like this, watching these kinds of television shows, because it helps us understand. Tanakh, right? Now we can understand. We all have the picture of who this Doeg Adobe is, right? And all, whatever these TV shows were, they're all the same, right? But it's the same, like you have the conspirer in the court, right? Now we understand it. Other people throughout history, they never understood it because they didn't have Netflix, right? We understand. So he's saying all of these things to make Shoal jealous, Right? All of these things. So, meaning from the beginning, this is way earlier. This is way earlier. Um, and the Malbim says, right? He says, Right? It's interesting. Achimelech, the Kohen, saw that Doeg was sitting right there and he wasn't nervous to have this conversation with David in front of him. Right? That tells us that the Kohen, right, Achimelech had no idea. He was totally innocent. Meaning he was Messiah Lefitumo. He was talking like, you know, oh, I have nothing to hide, so I'm not going to hide in front of anyone. This tells us the evil of Doeg. who was there, He heard everything that David said and understood that Achimelech was being tricked. And nevertheless lies, right? And, and says that, you know, he was conspiring against you. He tells Shaul, this Kohen is evil, right? He's rebelling against you. This is all part of the understanding of Doeg, this first approach that Doeg is mamasha Russia. Oh, he's a Russia who knows, who knows Torah, but what is he, Be'etzem? He's an evil person who just happens to be a smart guy who learned Torah, right? There are, there are such people maybe out there in the world that find Torah interesting, but he didn't really, he's not a believer. He's not close to Hashem. Really, he's a, a, a dirty, evil person. It's like Esau. <clears throat> the father of Adam, I because Esau looked like he was the, the, the best like son it. in front of the father. Beautiful. Thought, you know, and now he's... What you're saying is so absolutely truth, right? That that connection between Doeg HaEdomi and Esau, the first, the father of the Edomites, outwardly being holy and inwardly, you know, being corrupt uh, and evil. But I, and I don't know, I, I spent a fair amount of time preparing and learning, and I, I, I'm sure someone says it, somebody famous... But uh, what you said is beautiful. It's perfect. It's exactly, that's exactly this approach that the, that the Malbim and others are saying here, right? That this is all part of his, uh, his evil plan. Um, but I, I struggle with this approach because it doesn't really fit with the picture of Doeg in the Mishkan, who's sitting there having his spotedus, right? Who's sitting there learning Torah while, as the Mepharshim say, well, everybody else left because they went to go have dinner. He, he can't pull himself away from Kedusha. That picture of Doeg does not fit with the, with the image of Doeg as this evil conspirer who just happens to know a lot of Torah. That doesn't really fit. So we need another approach, I think, that, that, that fits more, that, may, that, makes, that, that it can explain better. So I think that we can explain that Doeg is somebody who thought that he was being righteous, um, even though ultimately he was doing something very, very evil. And this is, I think, even more dangerous because we're always going to have those narcissists out there in the world Psychopaths, right? And even worse than a narcissist. If my wife was here, she could categorize all the differences. Um, but even worse, like the people who are really like psychopaths who, who manipulate everybody around them. Like there are such people in the world, right? There are such people. Um, okay, I don't know what that tells us about the rest of humanity, right? The fact that, thank God, most of us are not psychopaths. But people are, there are people who are born that way, but there's not much to learn from that. 
I think, for us. But, if, but according to a second approach now, to, that Doeg was not a psychopath. He was not a fundamentally de- you know, creepy, evil man. But rather, he was a person who was a great Torah scholar who thought that he was very holy and who did something very terrible. And that's a lot more frightening, right? And this is, um, you know, we can look here at the number 28, 29, um, where we see, where we, what do we read? Ketiv doeg or ketiv doyeg? Sometimes, right, this is what we're saying, that his name is spelled differently. Amar of Yochanan, betchila yosheva kadosh baruchu, v'doeg shema yetzezeh letarbut ra'ah. Doeg means that Hashem was worried. He's a really holy person, he's a great Torah scholar, but there's something there that makes me nervous that he might go in a bad direction. That's doeg. But then he becomes, later he's called doyeg, la'achar she'yatsa, and he, after he did this terrible thing, amar oi, like doyeg is, you know, vav vav yud, right, voi she'yatsa zeh, oi, whoa, he, he went the way that I was nervous that he might go, right? Meaning he wasn't destined to be that way. Hashem gave him free will, and he was a great man, but he did something terrible and went in a very bad direction. And that's much more frightening. Um, you know, and I think that we see this also, you know, it's, it's like hard to believe, but, but if you look in, and this is in Tehillim 52, where David is specifically saying, So this is, right, this Tehillim is dedicated to Doeg. So what does, what does he say? What does he say? Why are you boasting of evil, Gibor? Meaning you're a Gibor. Doeg, you're a, you're a big person. And you're boasting of your evil, meaning Doeg was boasting because he thought he was doing the right thing. That's why he was boasting. He didn't consider himself evil, but that's the most frightening thing. When you think that you're holy, you think that you're doing, right? It's like a, like a, true, like a, like a Hamasnik, right, who believes that they're doing, right? And he calls his mother to tell his mother, you know, I, that I, 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 you know, I just killed uh, 10 Jews, right? So, Lahabdil, but isn't this what, like, Yosef's brothers after they sell them and they sit down and have a meal, yeah. there's a parallel there. I think. They believe that they were saving their family. They were terribly wrong. But they, again, that's incredibly dangerous, right? Now, our understanding is that, you know, not just our understanding, pshat, you know, this is Yehuda, that he's modeh al ha'emet, that he was able to admit and to do tshuva, right? And, and he didn't go so far. And he stopped them, you know, from, he wasn't going to be killed. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Meaning there was goodness there and it was a mistake that, was, that could be fixed. That's with, you know, and that is a mistake that was fixable, but this was a mistake that was not fixable. Uh, and Doe goes, goes off the deep end, right? But it, it's actually, but it's a wonderful example. You see the danger of it, the absolute, absolute danger. So it's, it's much, much more, much, much more frightening. Um, number 30, Gemara Nivamos. Amrle Doe Kaedomi. Doe Kaedomi said. Now, this, what, is, what is the context here? This is when David comes and, uh, and is out, goes out and kills Goliath. And they're like, holy moly, who is this guy, right? Where did he come from? So what does Doeg do? Right, so Shaul's nervous. Whoa, was this guy going to take over as king? He had good reason to be nervous, right? Because <laughs> he was not worthy anymore. Shem was taking it away from him and was going to give it to David. But Doeg says, don't even ask that question. Just ask if he's even worthy of being a Jew, right? He has a problem in his yichus. Why? Because he comes from Rus. From Ruth, Amrle Avner. Now, now Avner, who is a good man, who fought for Shaul, Avner says, "Wait a second, right? We know it's Amoni. A man is not, and a, and a Moabi is not allowed to enter the to convert, but a, but a Moabite woman can, an Ammonite woman can. Um, but then Doeg keeps fighting back. No, what do you mean? Do we just say Mamzer and not a Mamzeret? Right? And he keeps coming back. Now he's wrong." Doeg is wrong in the halacha, but what is he doing here? He believes, right? He's using Torah arguments because he believes, right, that, that he has to go on a holy crusade, right? And he has to go using the Torah. Now, we've seen this. I'm not going to give examples. Now, wartime is not a time to start ripping into lots and lots of Jews, right? But we've all seen many examples of Jews twisting the Torah for their ends, right? And this is really a, uh, you know, it's one of the great tragedies of modern, the modern times in particular, Right, that it's a uh, you know that we that, that we look at the world that we're looking at the Torah through the lens of the world, and we're not looking at the world through the lens of the Torah, and that's that's a great 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 challenge of our time, um, and that's why there's actually a beautiful idea 
we, the Gemara says that when we go up to Shamayim, Hashem's going to ask us, were you koveya itim la Torah? What does that mean? Did you set aside times to learn Torah? But I'm, I'm trying to remember, this is the, did anybody remember the name? He was the rabbi of the Jewish center, like in the early 20th century. I forgot his name. It's like 50 years. Um, but I forget, in, in New York City. I'm forgetting his name right now, but he has a beautiful Torah. He says precisely that. Rabbi Young, thank you. Rabbi Leo Young. So this Torah, I heard in his name. He says, it doesn't just mean koveya itim la Torah. Itim is not just times like times for learning. Itim is the generation, times, the times. Were you koveya the itim according to the Torah? Did you understand the itim of, your, of, of the, the, the world that you were living in through the lens of the Torah? Or were you koveya Torah le itim? Or did you determine what the Torah would be because of what the itim, what the times are telling you? Oh, you know, like when you go into some, oh, now I'm doing it. But like when you go into some, you know, to some non-Orthodox shul that all of a sudden the Torah happens to exactly fit whatever progressive ideology happens to say today, right? Somehow it's exactly the same thing. That's koveya right? Torah le'itim. We have to be koveya itim Torah, right? That's not a simple thing because we're always going against the grain. Um, but doeg is somebody who's koveya Torah, right? Not just le'itim. He's koveya Torah le'atzmo, right? He, he twists the Torah to say what he needs it to say, what he wants it to say, right? What's going to, to, to help him. Now, in his mind, because he's such a scholar, he thinks he's doing the right thing. He thinks this is the truth, but it's not, right? And that's very, very dangerous, um, so Rav Tzadok Akoin, right? There's so much here we could. I'm not going to do all of it, but uh, he says He says he followed the Torah according to his understanding of the Torah. He was the head of the Sanhedrin, says Rav Tzadok, um, and he said Amonia filu Amonit, right? And so he has his own halacha, right? Api halacha shebedaito umimela. In his understanding, David is not even Jewish because his great-grandmother is not Jewish and, she, and her conversion was false. It was not a good conversion. And therefore, he's really like, you know, somebody, you know, we, I met these people all the time. It was so sad, right? Their great-grandmother, they tell me whatever, they converted. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, I have to go and figure out if they can marry the kid from my shul. Right, that was like, are you actually Jewish? I'm not even sure anymore. Right, these things are, you know, but, but, but in his mind, therefore, David's not even Jewish. Therefore, he's definitely not going to be somebody who can, who can challenge Shaul HaMelech. And therefore, David is somebody who is moreid b'malchus. Therefore, he's worthy of death. And therefore, Achimelech, who helps him, is worthy of death. Right? Meaning, he saw Achimelech, and he's like, this is too good to be true for David. Oh, he has bread, and he has a sword, and he twisted everything to fit. Right? And, and, and so he uses the Torah as his cudgel. So I think, to me, this is very powerful and very scary, right? We see this all the time. I, I, there's a whole example here. This Rav Daniel Shiloh I found online where he goes up, where he's a Tzioni Rav who's going on and on about, about how his anger at these very religious people who attack great religious Zionist rabbis is not being religious you are, you're, because you keep Yomat's mood or something like that, right? And he, and, and he says, this is like an unforgivable sin. And he, right, he has like, it's wild. He quotes... You know, the people who say that, like, that, who accuse religious Zionist rabbis of this, he said, he quotes Rav Avram Shapira, that, right, that these hardcore, these rabbis who think they're so religious and, and they are bad-mouthing all these great Rav you know, Kook and others like that, they don't have to be forgiven, right? They're like the, right, they're like the doe domi, I guess, of our times, you know. It's not quite the same, thank God. We're not killing people, right, among, but, but nevertheless, but this is the idea Right? Because they're coming with such righteous anger, holy anger, right? We are the truth. We are the Torah. So we're going to go ahead and trash all the religious Zionist rabbis, right? You can come up with many, many examples all throughout. Um, the, the next Gemara here, it's worth reading. It's very, very powerful. But, um, you, you know, maybe, I don't know, we don't have so much time, but I'll try to, I'll try to do it very quickly. But it's, it's very powerful. Rav Ami says that Arba Mea Bayi. We'll get to Achitofel later. But Doeg and Achitofel, they asked 400 questions about a tower that's flying in the air. Anybody know about any towers that are flying in the air? Right? Not exactly. Right? Meaning theoretical questions. Right? You could spend your whole life asking Shailas, Gemara, learning all sorts of things that could never possibly happen. Meaning, who was Doeg? He was so scholarly. But somehow his Torah did not translate to halacha. 
right? As, and the Gemara here says, and by the end of the Gemara it says, right, that, that he didn't, right, the, the halacha was not according ever, was not, not according to doig. The lohav is salka lehu shmaita liba dehilchasa. Right? It did not, because the halacha, who the halacha follows? You can have many great rabbis with, you know, lots of amazing uh, Torahs to share. But, uh, but the halacha, what practically we do in this world, that is sod Hashem lirayav. It's not enough to be a Torah scholar. There's got to be something deeper there. David HaMelech was probably not as brilliant as Doeg, but this, the halacha followed, followed David HaMelech. Right? There's something very deeper. And the Gemara here tells this story about how one generation... Right, they were right. They were a later generation was much more scholarly than an earlier generation than Rav Yehuda's generation. But Rav Yehuda, whenever they needed rain and it was not raining, if he took off his shoe, the moment he took off his shoe, it would start pouring. Hashem immediately would answer his prayers, and they're like, "We we fast, we daven, and Hashem doesn't listen to us." Meaning, right? And this is the classic line: Hakadosh Baruch Hu liba bai. Hashem wants the heart. Right? It's not enough just to be a brain. Doeg was a brilliant brain who was lacking a Jewish heart, who was lacking Yerushalayim, who was lacking that connection to Hashem, which uh, I think we all understand. It's a classic idea, but it's one that is so dangerous that we can so easily fall into. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead because I know we're here at the end. Uh, I'll, I'll just share because tonight is Rav Shlomo's Yartzeit, um, number 36, the Torah from Rav Shlomo. The Gemara Nikres Avodas Ha'alilim. In the Gemara, this, the worshiping of idols is called Avodah, Zara, avodah, service that went off in a strange way. The Kutzker says, Reb Shlomo, and all the Rebbes, they say, even if you're serving Hashem, it's possible that your service of Hashem can be avodah zara. If you serve Hashem like a, like a zar, like a foreigner, like an edomi, like doeg edomi, like he's, meaning he's a Jew and he's a, uh, and he's a great Torah scholar, but he's got something of a foreign heart inside of him. He's missing. He's lacking that Jewish heart, right? Rachman Ali Hashem wants the heart. And he didn't have that heart. He didn't have the Jewish traits. We are Rachmanim, Baishanim, Vigomli Chasatim. We're merciful and, and we have busha, right? We have modesty and we do chesed. Doeg had none of those. He was a great Torah scholar, but there's something off and foreign about him. Right? He's the one who's saying that David HaMelech is not really a kosher Jew. Something tells me that there is something wrong with his ichas. Right? That there's something that he didn't have the DNA of being... Right? Right. Jews who are, like, who, are, who are constantly being kind to, to Palestinians who want to kill us, that I understand. I think it's very twisted and wrong, but that's the Jewish trait, right? They, they try to kill us, and we like, we're giving them free medical care, right? Like, that's, uh, that's Am Yisrael, right? That's, right? Those are Jews. You can be sure those are Jews. Right? Doeg who has no mercy and no problem slaughtering 85 Kohanim on the spot, there's something off. There's something foreign about Doeg, right? A cruelty that is not natural to the Jewish people. And so he's not really one of us. That's Avodah Zara. There's something Zar in it. So Rib Shlomo is a beautiful Torah for his Yurtzeh. Um, so, so sadly, look, we have, we have people like this throughout our history. Now, I'll just finish because I know it's already late. Um, you know, there, there's a whole history here with Shaul and Achimelech I'm not going to get into. Right? This is not, it didn't just start here that Shaul says to kill Achimelech. Achimelech had given Musr to Shaul back in chapter 14. This is what's so amazing about going slowly. Like, so you don't forget what just happened a few chapters before. You know, you really, it, it's amazing. Achiyab and Achituv, he was the one who insulted Shaul. But I really just want to finish with one point, which is, which is what, you know, what Shaul HaMelech did here is so painful and so terrible. And we, and we look at number 40, and I think this is something, you know, this is the tshuva maybe that we have to go through, we in our generation, right? We have to do the tshuva that Shaul HaMelech had to go through. Melamed, right, so what happens? Shahar Ehu HaKadosh Baruch Moshe, Dor Dor V'Shoftav, Dor Dor Umlachav. Right, Hashem showed Moshe all the future, right? This is... Uh, you know, amazing. He, tell, he shows Mo, Moshe what's going to happen after he dies. And all the kings that are going to come and Dor Dor V'chachamav, all the great scholars that are going to come and so on and so forth. And then what happens? Ehu Shaul Ubanav Noflim Becharev. And he shows him a vision of Shaul and his sons who, who will die by sword at the very end of Shmuel Aleph. Amar Lefanav. So Moshe says to Hashem, Melech Rishon Shiamod al Banecha Yidkar Becharev. The very first king, the very first Jewish king he dies by sword? How could that be? How could you allow such a thing to happen? Amar lo, Kaddish Baruch Hu, Hashem said, you're telling me? 
right? Go ask the Kohanim that he's going to kill. Right, Shehem Mikatra Gimoto, right? Right, they're the ones who are screaming from the grave. Right? Go talk to the Kohanim about what Shaul HaMelech did. Right? This is the great stain. Now Shaul HaMelech, we'll talk, well, we have plenty more to talk about him in the weeks to come. There, of course, there is tshuva for Shaul HaMelech, and there is repentance. There is hope for Am Yisrael, not just for David, but also for Shaul. But, uh, but we have to go through painful things because of what Shaul did. So what, you know, we, we are repenting for this sin. We hope and pray that uh, the repentance should be easy, should be smooth, that Hashem should, should see the incredible unity that our people have right now. Um, it's unbelievable, just to share one Mila Tova, you know, some of the people who were doing some of the worst attacks on their fellow Jews. I, I, I heard this unbelievable story, somebody in our community told me that he knows these people. They were, it's unbelievable, tearing into religious Jews, they were nasty and horrible. The moment the war started, it was like a complete 360, Com- complete. And they were immediately like called up Bibi's government that they considered to be like Nazis five minutes before and said, we're here, at, we're at your service. And they've been dedicating themselves like 24-7 because they're not Shomer Shabbos <laughs> and it's a war to f- helping to fight the war with technology and so on and so forth. So just as their tshuva was immediate and unbelievable, our whole nation's tshuva should be immediate and should be accepted and we should know no more pain. Amen.